Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Pangeris, and I am really grateful to have you all here. We actually are going to have two episodes, full-length episodes, um, released this month, which is a real treat. So if you're at all interested in supporting the more frequent release of episodes, uh, you can go to the website, www.livinginthesqueerbody.com and show some support via my Patreon. You can also find the link in my Instagram bio. So right now I'm going to be uh, releasing episodes at least once a month, Um, but this month we have two amazing guests and I will tell you about um, our first November guest in just a moment. I also wanted to um, encourage folks to sign up for my email newsletter if you haven't already. You can do that. There's a pop-up on the website, livinginthisqueerbody.com. And you can also DM me on Instagram and just let me know you want to join the email newsletter. In particular, uh, in the next couple of months, I'll be sending out some information about how to find out about um, pandemic holiday offerings uh, that might bring some support and ease in the often tricky areas of nourishment, uh, whether it be self-care practices, food regulation, navigating communication with family, asserting boundaries. I usually announce my offerings on Instagram too, but the newsletter is really the best way to stay in touch with all things living in this queer body and get discount codes and things like that. So um, I really appreciate all your support and I wish everyone ease during this um, election season, during this ongoing global pandemic. during this time of uh, righteous rebellion uh, against deeply troubling systems of oppression um, that impact marginalized folks, queer, trans, BIPOC folks. And I hope that you find a way to extend support, substantive support, either to directly to um, our guest today or to some of the uh, organizations and efforts um, that Eva is a part of and promotes. Um, So, That being said, I'm really pleased to introduce Eva Rain. Um, Eva is an actor, writer, and artist, originally from St. Louis, Missouri. She's a columnist at the Condé Nast publication, Them, where she writes on Black trans life and profiles people across the country. Her work as a performer has been showcased in the Brooklyn Museum and the Museum of Modern Art through the films by Tourmaline. When she isn't performing or writing, she works as a digital media manager at the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. And you can find out everything you need to know about Eva Rain and all of the amazing and powerful thinking and performing that she is doing at Miss Eva Rain. So that's at MS. E-V-A-R-E-I-G-N on Instagram. And I thank you again, Eva, for taking the time, taking a stroll down a not so pleasant memory lane in the form of our shared uh, experience of growing up in a very complicated city in the United States. Um, And I wish you all 
my best. Eva, thank you so much for making the time uh, during this wild uh, pandemic time to um, to talk with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Nice. It's really nice to connect with you. And I know that you did, you actually provided a dispatch for us during the earlier part of the pandemic. Um, and yeah, wow. uh, yeah right. Uh, and it was it was really nice to connect with you and i think one one intersection that you and i um have talked about is that we both are from st louis missouri and so in the spirit of kind of thinking about our a bit about like our own origins um i guess i'll i'll ask you to think about um some of your earliest memories of learning about having a body or messages that you received about being in a body. Yeah. Oh my gosh. St. Louis. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that first. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know, just like thinking about it, like, I don't know, like I live in Brooklyn now and it's yeah. such a trip to think about how like I've traveled, like, you know, over like 3000 miles from St. Louis. It's really, really wild. And, you know, like a lot of people where I live now, they don't even know where St. Louis is on the map. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's like very interesting to be there. And um, yeah, thinking about my earliest memories of being in a body, one of the first things that came to mind was I was like walking out of a restaurant it was either like Applebee's or like, what was that one place? It was like Kruger's or something. Like, hmm. like, do you know what place I'm thinking of? It was like, it was like, a, it was a very popular place in, in St. Louis. Hmm. They had like hot dogs and like games. It's hmm. not okay. Um, and we were like walking out at night and, um, I don't know. I was just like walking with like my hands in like a very like, I guess, feminine way. And my dad literally pulled me aside, um, started like spanking me out of nowhere. And Mm. he was like, you know, that's not how boys act. That's how girls are. You're not a girl, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I mean, I don't even know why I walked out like that. It just felt natural you know it just Uh felt normal but then I was told that it wasn't um and I think about that moment a lot um Uh yeah Uh yeah the that I mean I'm just thinking about or imagining you I don't know like leaving after playing some games or you know like having a fun time and being a little bit buoyant or like you know, excited or whatever. And that, that like an, that it's not, it wasn't just like a kind of regulating of your, um, kind of your gender expression, but also of your kind of just your emotional, like joy kind of, or pleasant, pleasant feelings. Um, and that, is that something that you, like happens a lot in your childhood? Oh, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I was constantly being policed in that way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, even like, even growing up, like other kids would like ask me, like, are you a boy or a girl? Because I spoke a certain way and I guess I just like looked not necessarily masculine or feminine. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like my parents were always trying to like butch me up more. Like they got Uh me in sports. They never let me grow my hair out. Um, And yeah, like whenever anybody would like gender me in a way that they didn't 
approve of, which happened often, they always gave me like a big talk and they'd be like, you know, you do know that you're a boy. Right. And it was just like this constant thing. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting because when I talk to them about all those moments now, they oftentimes just kind of like plead the fifth, um, hmm. which I can understand, you know, it probably hurts to think about any way that they hurt me. Um, mm. you know, so it's a, it's a pretty complicated thing, but I mean, when I look back on my childhood and when we like look at old photos and things like that, I mean, there's so many moments of like them trying to sway me one way or the other, I guess, Um, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it's something that been a lot of reflection on, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and especially now, like, you know, like trans queer topics are like so popular, um, <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's more like non-queer people who uh, yeah. suddenly have this interest because I don't know, it's not like there's more of us, you know, like the yeah. numbers definitely changed. It's just, there's this interest from the quote unquote, like general public, um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's very, very interesting. And, you know, with the election coming up and like all of the threats that we have on our livelihoods, um, you know, like you, you just can't help but think about, um, all of your own personal victories. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about about some of those um, in your mind? I mean, it sounds like there was the experience of being kind of attempts at at swaying you or changing you or policing you and your body and your, your self-expression, but it, it, when did you start to feel, and maybe even you, you felt this when you were younger, that there were, kind of these smaller or bigger victories for you personally? Mm. I, I'd say that the first times I really felt that I had a personal victory, it was just moments when I was like with my friends and they allowed me to just be myself. Mm. Um, I switched schools um, a good amount growing up, like all within the St. Louis area. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I remember um, when I was nine, I switched to a new school and um, nobody there really knew me. Like there were a few people from, from my old school, but for the most part, no one knew me. And it was like this weird thing for me to hang out with all of the girls. Um like they all just kind of looked at me like, oh, like why are they hanging out with us? Like, you know, like why aren't they over with the boys playing like kickball? Um, and um, after a while, they realized that I wasn't being weird, that I truly just felt more comfortable around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt more comfortable around me. And like, it took like, maybe like a week or so, but then they're like, okay, you can hang out with us. And then it just wasn't a thing anymore. Mm. Um, So that definitely felt like a a victory just to like be able to just have friends who weren't questioning me, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I mean, moments like that um, were pretty, pretty powerful growing up. Um, I mean, it was always hard because still like, you know, like the boys on the playground would be like, oh my God, why are you hanging out with them? Why why aren't you hanging out with us? And I mean, even teachers would sometimes refer to like the whole group of us as just the girls and like, oh, the girls and -and so-and-so, you know, Uh they uh themselves. Um, So yeah, like I, 
I think about that a lot. Um, like that definitely was, I mean, I, I guess like those are like small personal victories that I guess like any queer child has of just being able to hang out with the friends that you feel most similar to, mm-hmm. um, you know? Um, and then, I mean, once I got older, it just wasn't really a thing. I think because by then everyone automatically is like, oh, well, obviously you're gay, you know? Mm. Uh, And that's kind of when life became more complicated. Um, uh, Yeah, and I mean, I... I never really identified with that term even before I like socially or medically transitioned in any way. Um, That was just like the closest identifier I had because I was like, well, obviously I'm different. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. said I'm different. So if this is the word for it, then I guess that's what I'm, I guess that's what I'll use, you know? Um, Uh. So I guess the personal victory at that time, so shifting from like nine to age 14 was Mm -hmm. um, when I kind of like owned my queerness. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to talk about it. I owned it because I was tired of of being bullied for it. Um, You know, so uh, like everyone always called me gay and lots of other like really messed up names. Um, Mm. you know, so after going through that one, I remember like one day, like early on in high school, I was just like, yeah, I'm gay. What about it? Um, and the same guys who would laugh and joke about it suddenly had to pause and be like, Oh, okay. Well now I kind of feel like a douchebag because, (laughs) um, Mm. Like, this is who you are. Um, And that kind of blew my mind. I was expecting a violent reaction. And for the most part, they backed off, you know, so. Do you think, though, that there was something, I mean, I'm I'm not sure if you can know, but do you think there was something, it sounds like you weren't totally identified as, like, the, the, the word gay was just something that was maybe more legible to other people, but that you weren't, you were kind of weren't coming out as the full, like the fullness of who you were, but there was something maybe more legible or, or palatable or something at that time or in that school or with those kids about being gay. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, that was right when we all started high school and I switched to that school district the year before when we were in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know it at the, t- at, 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 um, the time, but that first day of school, everyone's like, oh my God, did you guys meet the new kid? He's super gay. Um, like literally everyone was talking about it and they told mm. me about this the year later. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, I mean, from like ages like 13 to 15, there were a lot of comments that were more gendered and people were calling me things like he, she, or like, mm. um, like even like a she male, you know, like I was being called those things, um, just because of my demeanor and like my voice and all these things. Um, so yeah, like there definitely was like some transphobia happening uh-huh. um, at, at a time when nobody was really talking about trans things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause this was right when uh, the it gets better movement started. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. So, you know um, so yeah, like it was like a, so it was like a big thing to talk about like young gay kids. Um, mm. And I was definitely put into that category at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, but people did question even more 
about me when I did say I was gay, like that, like wasn't enough for them. Mm. Uh, and it obviously wasn't enough for me either, but right. you know, I just wanted people to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I was asked multiple times if I was a trans woman, um, and I wasn't really asked it in like a very supportive way. It was like, uh, this isn't who you are, right? Because if, because if, if it is, that's super weird, you know? Mm. So I wasn't really given space to even think of myself as anything but a little gay kid, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Do you remember the first person or experience that helped that was posed in a kind of like supportive way that helped you to be able to conceptualize yourself as trans? I can't think of anything specific. Like I can think of like all these different moments, but, Mm. and I think all of it led up to something. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything specific, though. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, by like by the time that like I came out as trans, it had been on my mind for years, you know. Sure. So mm-hmm. it was something that was lingering, and I was just kind of waiting for like a safe space mm-hmm. to like be more open. Yes. Um. I mean, really, as soon as I left high school, I was ready to just do the thing, but I just didn't know what that, I like, you know, I didn't know what that looked like. Um, mm. I didn't know um, who I could trust to, to talk mm-hmm. about those things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so for a long time, I was just kind of like looking for spaces that gave me space to explore and to um fully embody who I am um you know um yeah yeah so it was definitely a long journey in that sense Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I, I I am hesitant of course because of our what I imagine to be a very different experiences um in relationship to um, queerness and and our gender identity, um, the fact that we're both, you know, grew up in St. Louis doesn't really necessarily mean a lot, but it does, I think, speak to um, something that that I've talked about before in my own in my own life is is just that the that idea that you were looking for space that gave you space that, Mm -hmm. that when we're deprived of, or don't even have access to, um, kind of either models or even just like curiosity about what is possible. Um, that sounds like you also had an experience of kind of growing up in a very, a part of the country and a, and a city where there are a lot of really limiting beliefs um, about what is possible. Um, And that it didn't take you long, I guess, once you experienced um, another place or another kind of city or another community to really embody what you've known and felt for a long time, but that there was something about the actual, um, kind of geography and landscape and, um, environment where you grew up. Um, I mean, I'd love to just hear like a little bit more about what you think, um, when you reflect on kind of, you know, the, both the values, the the kind of atmosphere in St. Louis, um, the racial dynamics that existed there that felt, how that felt for you. Yeah, you know, I always tell people that St. Louis is a place in the Midwest, but it's also like quite Southern. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think people fully realize that until they visit and they see like the full scope of the area. Um, you know, like I, I grew up Baptist and I went to a lot of Catholic schools and if I wasn't Mm. going, yeah. And, and if I wasn't going to a Catholic school, there still was like a large amount of like Catholic kids in my school. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like I was always in all, I also was always in very, um, white, Places. Yeah, I was just gonna say there were, you were t- you're talking about Catholic white people like me. Yeah, <laughs> like how I grew up. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, like a very like specific experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, growing up like that, it definitely it definitely gave me a lot of insight into how people see the world. There was a period of time where I was living in. Uh, I was living in East St. Louis Mm -hmm. and then I would go across the river every day and I went to this Catholic school by the Missouri Botanical Gardens. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was like, it was just kind of like night and day, like making that switch constantly. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like kids at my school, when they heard where I lived, they assumed that like I heard gunshots every night um, and that like my brother was in like a gang and that like my dad wasn't in the picture and like all this stuff, you know, like people had like the most stereotypically mm-hmm. like, you know, so, and I mean, granted, yeah, like I definitely witnessed some things. My parents are divorced. Yeah. Like I lived in the hood, like it is what it is, but people thought that like, I was like, I don't know, just like going through like the worst horrible thing. And then when I came to school, it was like, it was just like a wonderland. And I'm like, Mm. that's not the case. Granted, while I didn't always feel safe in my own neighborhood, I also didn't feel safe at school, you know, like being like oftentimes the only black kid, Mm. um, And also being like this very visibly queer kid also who doesn't Mm -hmm. even have language to describe what they're going through. Um, You know, so yeah, St. Louis is a really interesting place. A lot of what's happening right now with like Black Lives Matter, a a lot of which happened in Ferguson, which Mm -hmm. is right in the St. Louis area for people who don't know. You know, uh, I always, like, I always told people that it makes sense that it happened where it did because St. Louis is so segregated and it's like weird the way that it works. Um, You know, like, I think there's like a map that you can look at on, on Wikipedia that shows you it's kind of like street by street. It's like white, black, white, black, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even looking at like different areas, I mean, it, it really is something to study. Um, just the ways that it works there, but it's this really interesting intersection of being right at like the tip of like the Bible belt, um, you know, not to get too old timey, but like right at like the Mason Dixon line. I mean, you know, like there's just a lot of like racial disparities happening in that area. Um, And, you know, anybody from that area who acts like that isn't a thing, you're living in oblivion. Like, I don't know how you don't notice those, those things, you know, like anywhere else I've, I've lived, it's different. Um, uh, you know, racism is everywhere, but racism in St. Louis is a super specific beast. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. a really interesting place to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think what you said about Ferguson is, you know, echoes my, my thoughts exactly about it. You know, I was like, this is just, um, exposing something that, 
like a, a set of dynamics and that have and and you know racialized violence that has been happening forever in this place. But I think what maybe sets it apart, and this is why it's interesting to me, um, and also horrifying was really hard. It's a really painful place to kind of, I don't know, think about is that because of what you said, because it's like right on the Mason Dixon line, because it's not always um, framed as Southern, you know, like you don't, it's not explicitly, uh, at least the city is not, you know, explicitly like you're, there's not Confederate flags everywhere. You know, there isn't an explicit um, there are absolutely that exists and certainly yeah. in Missouri, a hundred percent. I'm just, I think that there's, there's a rhetoric of, well, we're not, it's, it very much echoes a rhetoric of, you know, like our, our moment right now, you know, we're not, we're not racist. We're yeah. just <laughs> segregated. You know, we just believe in, um, you know, keeping things, everyone has their own place. Um, Exactly. Which is like as an exceptionally, you know, kind of old Southern, um, you know, like this is where everyone belongs kind of vibe and segregation are, you know, like busing, school busing and, and all of these things are very much endorsed and alive and well. And so I think you got, it sounds like you were really in the mix of that, um, that kind of tension point, um, especially when you were kind of forced to interface around, you know, these, like basically to, to transgress these lines of acceptability, right? You know, you're like, I'm in a white Catholic school and I am not from here. And that was clear. Um, and it, I just, it's, I'm curious how you, I mean, you clearly have moved away and, and found, um, different, like a different place to live and a different way of living and a different way of embodying, you know, things, but what do you, what do you think kind of either got you through that or helped you to understand it? Or, um, how do you think you, yeah. How do you think you got through kind of being, being positioned at the, like the intersection of all of those like transgressive quote unquote transgressive identities? I think it was a few things. Like there definitely were times that I just like checked out, you know, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even aware of the ways I was being conditioned at times. Like I definitely went through periods of developing internalized um, anti-blackness, anti-homophobia, like, Mm -hmm. you know, or just like homophobia, uh, transphobia, like, you know, just like all those isms I definitely harbored Mm -hmm. inside um, because those were the messages I was being fed every day. Right. Um, and granted, you know, my parents are from St. St. Louis. Like they both grew, but also they both grew up in like black areas. Like my dad grew up um, in like North City. My mm-hmm. mom is from the East Side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when they were growing up, they grew up having more like affirming images of themselves because they were immersed in an environment of people who look like them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a very different thing. And even talking to them about it now, there's like this riff. And I mean, you know, the older I've gotten and the more I've like learned how to verbalize my experiences, the more they've understood and the more yeah. they've apologized for um, not knowing what was happening at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, and it's not like I'm mad at them, you know, like, it's just how it happened, you know, yeah. like they, you know, like they had no way of knowing they're like, Oh, like, this is a good school. Let's send our kid here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like at, at the time I had checked out and then I checked back in with myself 
um, when I got a little bit older and I made some more friends who were black and who were like, okay, uh, let's start to unpack some of the things you just said, you know, Mm. and they definitely like checked me in the best way possible. Um, when my mother got married again, I met my, uh, older sister who also really helped to like wake me up to Mm. a lot of different things. Um, and also just like the internet, you know, um, like just, you know, like being able to like read different things, watch like different documentaries and, you know, just like to learn what isn't taught in school. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like, so yeah, I'd say it was, uh, yeah, it was just like a bunch of different things that helped me, um, like decondition from that that particular, like the particularity of that, uh, that conditioned experience. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, by the time I was like, honestly, by by the time, like I was like in high school, like I was like 15 and I just kind of turned around to like a bunch of kids who said like messed up, like racist things. And I was like, you know, you're pretty racist. And they're like, what? Um, (laughs) and like, they also were like, oh, well, you had no problem with me talking about this before. And I'm like, well, that's because I didn't know how to call you out about it. Uh, <laughs> you know? And yeah, I mean, honestly, like, like even when I was like eight years old, people would say like racist things to me and I would, you know, I would, I would definitely check them on it, but I wouldn't know how to fully go in and, mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, like I was like a little kid and, you know, like maybe somebody said, oh, like I'm like scared of black kids. And I'm like, so you're scared of me? Like uh-huh. you're scared of my whole family? Like, what are you saying? You know, like just looking back at all those moments, and, like all those kids who said things like that. I don't know where any of them are today. Um, but I mean... There's plenty of people who I can look at that I went to high school with, that I went to college with, who were along those lines of like saying things in a very like nonchalant manner that they thought it was just commonplace to repeat, um, who now say things like Black Lives Matter, we have to, you know, really check racism, blah, blah, blah. And um you know, we can't really check anything unless people like check their past as well. Mm. Uh, and think about like all those little black kids that you said those horrible things to, you know, because mm. um, it's like I can think of almost every person who ever said those things to me growing up, you know, like they like they will always have a big impact on my life um, mm-hmm. because they always reminded me of my differences and tried to make me feel less than at a very, very young age. So yeah, like those are like, those are things that I think about, especially in this moment um, where there's like this big, I mean, ultimately it's a trend to say BLM, to say Black Lives Matter. So even say Black Trans Lives Matter is becoming trendy, right? Yeah. Um, And I always wonder for the people who are saying those things, where were you five years ago in 2015? Where were you 10 years ago in 2010? You know, um, like I always wonder, um, were you somebody who I was getting in a fight with back then, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah. yeah. What do you, yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear you and I, I mean, what do you, what do you make of it? Like, what do you think about this trend, this trendiness, this, because in some ways I think, and I, I, I want to hear what you have to say, but I guess I'm just hearing like the trend could be in some ways or can be sort of weaponized or used as a way to certainly to like, you know, exonerate 
um, people, especially white people and people of certain forms of privilege to exonerate them from, from really having to interrogate their own internalized anti-blackness and, you know, anti-transness and all of that, um, kind of similar, you know, interestingly enough to what you and I are talking, we're talking about in terms of growing up in St. Louis, where there was, I think like this kind of, you know, uh, like Southern gentility, like, um, acceptability, like politics, like you, you know, you kind of present it as if like, I, who me, like, I'm not racist. Right. You know, it's, um, uh, but there was so much, uh, racial violence and, and, um, and and explicit anti-blackness, um, that, that just like lives in that place. Um, and lives within the people. And so I wonder if, it, you know, do you feel that way about this, this kind of trendiness of BLM or, um, yeah. Does it, yeah. Feel, I guess I wonder if it's like, it doesn't feel that in like, not insidious, but does it feel like that sometimes? It definitely does. Um, it definitely, definitely does because I mean, yeah, like people just like put that on their profile or they pick up a sign or just buy a t-shirt and like, see, I'm not racist. I've never been racist. Of course I have black friends, you know, like that's what it all like sounds like. And, um, what it all kind of comes down to, like people aren't taking the time to really unpack, um, anything they've said or done or anything that they've let happen also, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, one thing you see people say online a lot is, you know, like I need white people to turn to their parents, to turn to their uncles and aunts at the dinner table and to check them on, you know, if they're voting for Trump or if they are, you know, like racist, if they have, a Confederate flag, which is so much more common than people think it is. Like, uh, I mean, I remember I was in my junior year history class and um, uh, the guy next to me, he had um, in his front yard, they had installed like this big flagpole just to hang a Confederate flag from. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait, 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 wait. We've been sitting next to each other in class for like seven months, which granted it was like, you know, assigned seating, but still I'm like, you know, like, what do you think of me if you have that flag in your yard? And he said, oh, well, it's just like Southern pride. It has nothing to do with slavery. And I was like, uh, but it, does you know and everyone else in the class just kind of like looked at me and they were like well whatever you know um because I mean you know the majority of them they probably had one in their home or their cousin did or something Uh of the matter you know um Uh like it was just so normalized and like you said earlier you know, it's not like people were like wearing that to school or like wearing it out and about, but they definitely didn't see a problem with that imagery. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, if that was like the early 20 teens, um, you know, there's, there's, there's like a whole school district of people who are like, oh, like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And we're only like a few years later and everyone's saying BLM. It's like, you know, nobody, nobody makes that much change in that <laughs> short of a time period. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. so it's like something's up. Um, and it's like, you know, obviously, yeah, Black Lives Matter, like that, like that phrase rings true, but the idea of that turning into a hashtag that has had all meaning stripped from it, mm. that's a major problem. Um, 
you know, that's a major, major problem. You know, just the entire idea of a protest has become this like fun thing to do. Like, oh yeah, we're going to like get our picket signs. I'm going to go march. Um, And people turn it into this big photo op, but they're not really uplifting the Black people in their lives or the Black people who have ever been in their lives, you know? Um, Yeah, like people are turning it into a very empty statement and it's really messing up the entire movement, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? Um, But I mean, this is, I mean, but like this, the same thing has happened before. Um, I mean, during um, the civil rights movement of the 60s, plenty of people who, um, you know, went to march um, during that time um, or who say that they went to march, you know, because <laughs> it's a lot of people who didn't actually go, um, you know, they um, they talk about Black people the same way that somebody with a Confederate flag would, you know, like there, there's just not enough personal like introspection going on um, (laughs) before people like get their buttons and their pens and their hats and whatever other piece of merchandise, um, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a really weird time. Um, it's a really, really weird time because when, because I mean, when BLM was first popping off, um, it was like such a radical thing to say. And you, and I mean, I walked into a class um, when I was in, in college, I just had like a little button that said Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy in my class who saw me and he got so upset, like his face turned red and he just like stormed out of class. I heard later that he was calling me the N-word, you know, Mm -hmm. which sounds horrible. I mean, honestly, I've been called the N-word so many times in life, Mm -hmm. like a very early age. It doesn't really have a big impact on me at this point. Um, I mean, I was shocked that me wearing some small little button would upset him so much. Um, But it's like, you know, we've gone from that to people saying it, but not meaning it. And I don't know. It's just all weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, to the extent that I can hear you, I hear you. And I, I guess, and I don't mean this question as kind of like a challenge or an ask for you to kind of offer an alternative way of thinking, but I guess I, I do wonder what you would want to say, you know, about your own like current life experience as a black trans person, as a black queer trans person, you know, that the hashtag, the, the, you know, the merchandise, the protests, like what is being missed? You know, what is like really being missed? I, I really appreciate you talking about like checking your past, like the, the legacies, the, the, the kind of depth of, um, violence that, um, has not been addressed, um, is an ancestral violence and inherited trauma. And, you know, those kinds of, those kinds of, um, interrogations obviously are not, not happening, um, enough and fully, but what else do you feel like people, white people, people of privilege, um, this people, what do, what do you feel like needs to be considered and, and understood more? I think people need to really think about the humanity that is being impacted, Um, whether that is the impact of the humans that are represented when you say Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, um, and just, 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a very heavy question. Um, I'm like trying to. Yeah. I, I certainly don't mean to like ask you in sort of a, like, what's the answer? What's yeah. the summary? You know, it's more like, um, cause there isn't, there isn't one. It's more just. Yeah, like, there, there really is not one. Yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely not just one answer to that. Um, I mean, you know, like, and you know, like I, I'm, I'm not saying that so people can try to like appeal to the humanness of a black person, but I mean, really it's like, you know, like, do people realize that all this is really heavy and all of this, um, like, you know, like, like every action that someone in power makes has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the ripple effect of my great, 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 great grandmother being stolen or being sold um, or being beaten, you know, it's like all of that has a um, impact that I feel today, that my family feels today. Um, And everything happening right now is going to have an impact on all of our descendants for years and years to come. Um, You know, uh, like 2020 has been such a whirlwind of a year. And I think people have really had to confront a lot of injustices and a lot of the impact of injustices and like everything has been leading up to this moment. It's leading up to this election. Um, uh, it's leading up to every, to every protest. Um, so just everything going on, you know, um, um, and you know, when people take the meaning out of a phrase like black lives matter, or, um, they, take the meaning out of um, the names of Sojourner Truth, of Shirley Chisholm, um, of Harriet Tubman, of Rosa Parks, and they just turn it into something like trendy to put on a t-shirt. You know, it's like, it's just such a disservice. Um, Mm. And I don't know, like, I, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's just, yeah, there's like, there's like a lot to unpack with all of that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, people need to do the work themselves and not rely on their Black friends to to do Mm -hmm. it for them or to rely on, like, some popular person from Instagram or Twitter to like give them all of the answers because there's not just one. Mm -hmm. And um, especially depending on where you live, there's a specific history there. Yes. Um, You know, like we've talked about what it was like to be in St. Louis, but there's a different history in New York. There's there's a different history Mm -hmm. in Miami and Chicago, you know, Like, and a lot of people aren't considering any of those things. They're just kind of taking what they believe to be blanket phrases or blanket statements and applying it to everything as a Band-Aid, you know? Um, And, you know, hashtag BLM is not a Band-Aid. It's a radical statement that is meant to ignite active thought and like active motions toward a better future. Um, yes. And I think a lot of that has been lost recently. Yeah. 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 No, I really, I appreciate you kind of talking about that. And I, I think while you were talking, I was also thinking about when you said, you know, every place is different. I was just thinking about, this, the kind of specificity of our, you know, knowing of one another or speaking today um, and just being in conversation and, and thinking about the collision of our, you know, 
our individual ancestors and, you know, the legacies of the depth of the legacies of trauma and my own, um, as, as, as someone who also has, you know, a couple generations of, of white family that, that had lived in and profited and made money and, um, participated in all kinds of probably not that I, I, you know, of, of racial violence and anti-blackness, anti-black sentiment in St. Louis. And so here we are having this conversation and, and part of the, the work that, you know, I feel compelled to do and is, is to do my own interrogating of how reparations can be made, how, what can be addressed and uncovered and looked at in, you know, and, and that's, that's between, that's just, that's us having a conversation, right? You know, that's, uh, that's me and you two individuals having a conversation and it's, it's deep and profound work or analysis or checking of oneself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess that's, it, it just seems like that is uh, something that's really hard to hold for a lot of people, a lot of white people. And it's essential. It's a, an essential part of, of this work. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we could talk for a lot longer, but <laughs> we do, we do kind of have to, to come to a close. And I, I guess I want to just ask you, one last question about, you know, we, we did spend a lot of time talking about, you know, kind of a younger, your, your early life. And if there's anything that you, is there anything you want to say or communicate or would say or communicate to that kind of younger version of you, um, knowing what you know now, um, about how your life is? Mm, um, I would tell that younger version of, of, of myself that a lot of, a lot of the things that you are hoping for, that you are wishing for, like, they're definitely going to happen and they're going to happen in ways you were not expecting. I would probably also tell that, that younger version of myself that uh well I don't know I, I I almost said that like this thing about like growing up too fast but also I mean and in a lot of ways I was like forced to mature earlier than I guess a lot of people probably wanted me to um just because of what I was being confronted with on yeah. a daily basis um so I mean I would really just tell that younger version of myself um to keep breathing um, mm. and, um, and to probably t- t- maybe not, uh, act like Skittles are like the only thing you can eat for lunch. I would tell mm. myself to, like eat more <laughs> and to like eat like a, f- a full lunch. Um, mm. cause yeah, my diet was horrible back then. Um, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's nourish, nourish yourself, <laughs> nourish yourself yes. and breathe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, Eva, thank you so much. And let's, can you just let folks know how they can find out about your work? I'll put links um, in the show notes. Yeah, um, definitely like follow me on Instagram at M-S-E-V-A-R-E. I-G-N. That's Miss Eva Rain. Um, I just started a film fellowship um, and I have some writing coming out soon. So definitely follow me to stay updated. Yeah. Congrats on that. Again, that's, it's exciting. And I look forward to hearing more from, from you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
pages.